How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another edition of Locked on Bucks presented by BrewHoop.com. I'm Frank Madden. I'm joined by Eric Name, And we are brought to you today by SeatGeek. Be sure to download the mobile app for the easiest way to buy tickets and use the promo code LOBUCKS. That's L-O-B-U-C-K-S to get a $20 rebate on your first purchase with SeatGeek. Thank you to the good folks at SeatGeek. And Eric... How are you doing? Are you recovered from your whirlwind of media day coverage on Monday? Did you get a, a good night or two nights of sleep here since then? Sort of, um, I guess. Uh, I've still been like transcribing stuff and all these interviews are super duper long. Um, so that isn't the most fun activity, but that does mean that there will be more content. And... I would assume when this is posted, there will be a full Giannis interview because uh, uh, he certainly he certainly said some interesting things uh, during media day, and like Jason Terry said some interesting stuff about him, and um, there's a lot of cool stuff there. So I'm I'm excited for people to see it because I think there there will be some things that will make you think more about Giannis's role and kind of what he is on the team. Uh, one nice thing was he confirmed that he won't be guarding point guards this season, uh, which... Since since you believe that you are what you defend, now you won't call him a point guard anymore, right? Incorrect. I may actually go the opposite <laughs> way uh, and really, really <laughs> dig my heels in. And there may also be a... Uh, you know what? I've decided what I need to start doing is saying that I'm going to do things on the website that are non-podcast related. Because if I say it on the podcast, then I have to follow through with it. So that's what I'm going to do. The Giannis interview is going to go up. I'm going to write something about Giannis being a point guard. And then next week, we're, we're going to have a piece about what we're going to talk about tonight, um, which, is, which is kind of exciting. And again, it could all be just training camp malarkey. Um, but maybe it's actually real. So we'll see. But that's a teaser for what we're about to talk about in this podcast. Okay, so uh, we did our media day bingo uh, in our two-part podcast, Recaving Media Day. Uh, but I, and I don't know if it got in in time. I'm not sure if the first day of training camp, uh, if the bingo boards can still be updated. Uh, but one topic that at least I didn't hear uh, anybody quoting afterwards uh, was talk of playing more up-tempo. And that is a longtime uh, favorite cliche of Media oh, yeah. Day. Every team wants to play more fast-paced and get more easy buckets. Um, you know, you have to be just a caveman to not want to play faster basketball. And Miles Plumley, perhaps uh, you spilled know, the beans. He spilled them. spilled the bean. He gave gave the people what they wanted. Uh, he uh, he came out on the first day of training camp uh, in Madison and uh, gave us a little bit of that. Uh, 
that sweet, fast-paced sugar. So, uh, do you have the quote in front of you? You want to you want to dish it out because because we're gonna we're gonna just unpack the hell out of this quote from our very good friend Charles Gardner. Buck center Miles Plumley on first practice said offense is quote definitely geared to more of an up and down tempo pace end quote Plumley again quote there's a lot of pick and rolls I think it'll put more pressure on the defense so it's exciting to watch end quote so up and down pace lots of pick and rolls that is very different from the way the Bucks played last season. It is, and we can kind of take it piece by piece. So why don't we start with the fast pace? And pace is something that we have talked about. Uh, you know, I think we've mentioned previously the fact that the Bucks went from averaging under, I think it was like twelve point nine points per game in transition before the All Star break to seventeen points after the All Star break. Um, and obviously, anybody who was watching the way the Bucks were kind of sprinting after every miss, trying to get Giannis the ball and trying to push the ball in transition. I, I think that probably you kind of nod your head and say, "Yeah, that makes sense. That was that's a smart thing to do." And probably not su- not surprisingly, we've also quoted you know the stats around those most used Giannis lineups and how efficient they were at scoring. And obviously, that wasn't because they were great shooting lineups or you know ultra high efficient half court lineups it's because in no small part they were really good at, at pushing the pace and transition so this makes sense to me eric uh you know the bucks pace last year was uh you know 94.2 which means you know nothing using the, the basketball reference methodology but 23rd in the league right which which is interesting and, and i would just caution you know pace is a descriptive stat it is not something that tells you whether a team was good or bad in terms of you know offense or defense or whatever it might be it's literally just an estimate of the number of possessions between the two teams in a game and um, a lot of things can push that up and down and and one of them is obviously getting shots off quickly getting easy baskets um, but that's certainly not the only thing because you know as we've discussed in the past if you get a lot of offensive rebounds or allow a lot of offensive rebounds to the other team, then your pace goes down because p- possessions are longer, which is you know kind of different from what we talk about getting up fast pace. Um, and obviously, a team like the Bucks, if you're trying to play you know post offense and um, have to work the ball around a lot, you don't have a lot or, of shooters. And a- or if your half court offense just sucks, yes, then it probably takes you longer to get it. So even if you you know get out and transition a lot, if if your half court sets bogged down, then, then you'll be slower. But uh, what's your take on this, Eric? I mean, and I hate to, I don't want to use, I think the transition sp- scoring numbers are probably more interesting um, and, and a better metric for whether or not the Bucks are doing well um, pushing the tempo. But uh, pick any of these stats you want. Do you think the Bucks are going to be, you know, a top 10 team in pace, a top 10 team in fast break scoring? Where do you kind of see this team going? Is it going to be a a media day slash first week cliche, or is it going to be something that they actually live up to? Because when we talked about, I, I guess the way, the other ways to kind of look at it is you mentioned pace, but then also uh, kind of like the percentage of your possessions that end in transition points, uh, how efficiently you score. And there's a lot of ways to do it. And I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in transition, like the percentage of possessions that were transition possessions the Bucks were ten to fifteen, somewhere in that range. Is that accurate? Uh, let me see. Let me bring up my. Let's see. 
in terms of the percentage of of plays that were in transition, they were yeah, they were like around like a little, I think eleventh, like a little below, you know, a little above average. So not a not a ton, and they were and they were good in transition. I think they were eighth in points per play. So that means when they got in transition, they were generally pretty good at finishing, which isn't surprising. Um, but they didn't necessarily do it at a at a really high rate, at least not for the overall you know uh, overall season average. Well, talking about transition basketball actually gives me a number of easy transitions to talk to you about SeatGeek. Football is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the games you want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the year, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the seats you want for a great value. SeatGeek has the best deals on every ticket in the house, whether you want to sit at the 50-yard line, the club seats, or the upper level. And since it is football season, I'll, I'll let you know. You should go check out Lockdown Packers, obviously part of the Lockdown Network. They have all of your Packers information that that you would ever need at Lockdown Packers. And I know we have fans all over the place listening to Lockdown Bucks, so maybe you're not a Packers fan. So go check out Lockdown NFL or Lockdown pretty much whatever team that you cheer for. Uh, we have them all here. Uh, but with SeatGeek, it's kind of the same thing. You can get exactly what you want from SeatGeek. All you got to do is download the app, get it on your phone. It's easy. It shows you exactly where the seats are. It shows you exactly what your view from those seats will be. It shows you exactly what the best deals are from those specific places. And they have, I don't even know what it is. I'm sure it's some fancy algorithm that figures out, is it good? Is it bad? Is it a great deal? And it color codes it and it's very simple to see. So you can figure out what the best deal is in the entire stadium is at any point. Um, and, I mean, that's great for NFL tickets because you never really know what sight lines might be. Uh, so you can see where you're going to be looking, and you you won't know exactly how much it should be for uh, an NFL ticket, and you can get all of that information right there on the app. So it's super convenient. I've definitely uh, downloaded that today. That'll make everything easier for you. And the best thing is every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee. So the the coolest thing, though, is I have a $20 rebate for you for your first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. And since you're listening to Lockdown Bucks, that promo code is L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, that's L-O-B-U-C-K-S, L-O-Bucks. Enter the promo code and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code L-O-Bucks today. And with that, let's transition See what I did there? God, I feel awful about myself. Transition back into our talk about transition basketball. I guess kind of the big thing for me is is if you really want to push tempo, it has to be a priority. And obviously every team says it's a priority, but you can tell the teams where pace is actually a priority and pace isn't. Obviously the Wizards with John Wall, they have the fastest car in the league. John Wall is ridiculous from baseline to baseline. But you could tell the difference between John Wall two years ago and John Wall last year. When you played the Wizards, 
On a made basket, John Wall was pushing up the floor. On a missed basket, John Wall was pushing up the floor. On a free throw, John Wall was pushing the ball up the floor. No matter what, the Wizards were pushing the ball up the floor. And if you want there to be tempo in your offense and you want your offense to get moving, you can dictate that. That is that is totally on you. And again, pace numbers may not reflect that. And one, one stat I've always been very curious about is the number on the shot clock when you get over half court. And I wit, I'm sure, 100% sure, our wonderful stats guys at the Bucks, uh, Seth and Mike, they both know what that number is for the Bucks. I'm sure it's probably pretty easy to track, um, but that's not something that's publicly available. But I'd be very curious about it because you can control that. You can control how much time you have the ball in the half court area. Um so if you want to dictate tempo, you can do it. And like I said, pace won't reflect it because your your half-court offense could just stink and that'll drag you down. But if you want to push tempo, that's on you. And and I think in the second half of the season, we saw that quite a bit. And the Bucks were very good at it off misses. Uh, you mentioned always looking for Giannis. If they grab a rebound, a steal, whatever it is, let's get the ball to the floor. Let's find Giannis and let's do some damage. And for the most part, after the all-star break, they did do some damage, but over 82 games, that can be a tough thing to do. It, it does take a certain level of conditioning. It does take a certain level of control. And I think the biggest thing for me is it takes a certain level of trust in your guys. And throughout these two years of Jason Kidd and now entering the third year, um, with these two years of Jason Kidd, one thing I've always said with the offense that sticks out in my mind is the image of Jason Kidd past half court, stomping his feet, pointing out where the mismatch is, and essentially trying to play point guard from the bench, which when you have a point guard that's struggling, whatever, that might be the way that one of the best point guards of all time tries to coach but it's not ideal for the actual players on the floor because they can't think like Jason Kidd. They don't know what Jason Kidd's thinking. All they can see is a crazy man at half court pointing at things and screaming at things in an NBA NBA arena with thousands of people making noise. So that's not really helpful, and I think it slows down and bogs down the Bucks' offense. But yeah, if they want to get on a transition, I, I think they can do it. It's just a matter of doing it every single time like you can't take possessions off of pushing the tempo because then it doesn't matter and i remember i remember pretty vividly both wizards games in the fourth quarter wall would just find the easiest shots for guys corner threes he'd get to the he'd get to the rack whatever it was but it's because they were relentless and just like when you think of a football team running the ball every single play and having a big offensive line and having a running back that's just running it down your throat you're trying to tire a team out, and if you push the tempo like that, you can possibly get some easy baskets in crunch time when it matters because teams will just be so exhausted. So it'll be interesting. I don't know if I buy it, but I will say that I think we'll be able to figure out pretty quickly if we should buy it or not. Yeah, I think the positive, obviously, is we did see improvement as as the year went on. Um, and to give people a sense of you know the, the magnitude uh, of those stats, you mentioned the, the Wizards, you know, even last year with maybe John Wall not <coughs> reaching quite it's a previous year, uh, 18.9% of Wizards plays were transition plays. So those are basically uh, situations where they got a, a shot, a turnover, or drew a foul. Um, and, and so that's, that's, that's a lot. They were just 0.1% behind the Rockets who led the league in that department. And they were uh, you know, 
pretty good at, in terms of efficiency as well, uh, versus the Bucks uh, at 13.8%. Um, again, a little above average, but but not quite uh, certainly at, at the rate of uh, of a team like the Rockets or, or Wizards. So we'll see if, if those numbers um, can can be pushed up. And, and obviously, um, I think losing Middleton is interesting because uh, on the one hand, it means that the Bucks should be all the more desperate to push the ball and try to get you know stuff going uh you know towards the basket in transition you you know you're maybe not going to have that um killer shooter that can uh look for you know trail threes and things like that in transition which as we've said before having shooters is very helpful in trying to run you know yeah. it's it, you're not it, it's not just a matter of putting five guys on the court who can win win a sprint right um you know having being able to get defensive rebounds pass uh, you know, having a big guy who can clear the boards and pass is great, even if he can't run, <laughs> you know, like an Andrew Bogut type or yeah. somebody like that, uh, Kevin Love, somebody like that. Um, but then having guys who either are, you know, Giannis Jabari types or guys who can just pull up and shoot threes. Um, and if you've got, you know, four of those guys, that that's great. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, especially with Middleton, there's going to be, uh, you're, you're going to be losing a guy who can obviously shoot and take advantage of a non-set defense to get easy looks early in the clock. Uh, but on the flip side, you're also going to have that much more desperation uh, to to get out and push transition and, and get you know those layups and dunks that that obviously Giannis and Jabari were very good at and very good at generating last year. Um, you know we mentioned 270 dunks. The drive for 300 is uh, is all the more <laughs> important uh, given given the loss of Chris Middleton. Um, Anything else on transition or uh, I mean, I think the only thing we we'll talk about is obviously the importance of if you're going to play fast, you got to, you know, do what you can to be disciplined to prevent the other team from getting all those easy buckets back. Um, I think the Bucks were plus four or so points uh, per game in transition in the second half of the season last year, which is obviously encouraging because, you know, clearly if you're surrendering 20 easy bucket points per game and you're getting you know 18 um 18 might be a lot but it doesn't necessarily help you in a basketball game if you give it away yeah. so hopefully they can continue to do that obviously being uh, disciplined not uh you know chasing after not sending you know multiple guys after every offensive rebound uh could be a part of it as well so it'll be interesting to see how the bucks uh, address that you know the defense is obviously very critical um and the defensive rebounding also critically we kind of touched on it briefly but uh to the extent that the bucks can improve on being you know one of really over the last two three years, they've been one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the league, uh, and they need to get better in that department. They need that for their defense. They need that for their offense, uh, as we said, to, in terms of generating scoring opportunities. So, I guess the only things I would add is that we keep trying to figure out whether or not Jabari Parker is going to become a better rebounder. And if I was a member of the coaching staff, my motivation to him would be: you can. If you grab a ball, you can push it as hard as you want up the floor. And if we get some turnovers that way, that's cool, man. Like It's not a problem. But if I can somehow use the motivation of getting to start a fast break as motivation for him to grab some more defensive rebounds, that's great. Like any Anything I can do to move the needle for Jabari to become a better rebounder, I would be doing. And I assume they're doing that because there there was a lot of times in the second half of the season where you saw Jabari grab a rebound and go. Um, but, man, <laughs> I would do anything I could uh, to get him moving. And then uh, also, I'd, I'm trying to think, it might have been a video I watched today um, from Bucks training camp, but it also could have been uh, during media day. But uh, one of the shooters, it was Jed or... 
Mirza or maybe Delhi, one of them mentioned that the cool thing for them is running the right lanes and getting in the correct position uh, so that Giannis can push the ball up the floor. And I think that was something I I was I really harped on it in the Brandon Knight year that year because Knight and Giannis would just run the same lanes and guys didn't have proper spacing. And I do kind of hope, like you said, that having five guys that sprint up the floor isn't necessarily the best for a fast break. You want like two dudes that can sprint one dude that can rebound and two dudes that can shoot. So hopefully there's enough of Mirza and Delhi and Jet kind of getting out to the wings or finding the corner or whatever it may be to spread the floor the right way so that the Bucks can actually get out in transition and run and have good options and not all just be running right at the basket because five dudes running at the basket isn't necessarily great. Sometimes it works because Giannis has insane length and can kind of just dunk over eight people. Um, and I, I think I'm thinking of that that Pistons play last year where it was just like yeah. a blob of dudes in the middle of the floor, and somehow Giannis just ends up with a dunk. Um, so I mean, it can work at times, but having that proper space and can really make a, for for a killer transition play. Okay, so there obviously are going to be many plays, <laughs> roughly uh, 75% or so that you are sorry, 85% or, or so, 80%, 85% or that you're, you're not going to be able to get a transition scoring opportunity. And uh, in those, you need to have reliable ways to, to generate offense. And uh, if you look at different synergy uh, stats play type, the NBA.com slash stats, you know, we've talked about it before. I mean, a team like the Bucks may be good at creating more, uh, you know, cutting opportunities than the average team. And then you might say, oh, well, that's great because cuts tend to be much more efficient shots, right? Which makes sense. You don't throw a, a pass to a cutter unless he's open. And when a cutter is open, he tends to get, you know, a high percentage shot. Yep. Um, but that's not a, you know, reliable way to generate offense. You can't just call the cut play every time. <laughs> um, and so, you know, having those bread and butter play types, um, plays that you can uh, basically decide, like, you know, you were, you were talking about in transition, to a certain extent, obviously, teams can very consciously try to run, but, you know, they can't just run late in games, they can't just run at the, yeah. at, you know, the snap of their fingers. They can try to run pick and roll, they can try to run post up. Um, you can obviously then, from there, try to also create plays at, you know, drive and kick, plays for spot ups. Those tend to obviously be, like, much more reliable types of half-court offense, which um, not that you can always get a shot that way, but you know, more or less you as the offense can dictate those types of opportunities and you're not just sort of reacting or you know, being opportunistic uh, off the defense's mistakes. So we get to the second part of Miles Plumlee's comment, which I thought was probably more interesting. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of one of these things that if you read a lot about the NBA, you've probably heard um, you know, people talk about how it's a pick and roll league and how important sort of that two man game is, not just for the pick, the, the, the ball handler and the screen setter, but uh, what that can create for the rest of the offense as well. And, you know, spacing around uh, that two man game and how you can kind of create an offense in many ways that, um, you know, you can create a, a good offense that's based around uh, a really good pick and roll point guard or you know ball handler or lead guard whatever you want to call it um and you know having a good role man or two and and then having shooters around those guys and what's interesting of course about 
the comment from Oz Plumley uh, is that uh, again, people who follow the Bucks closely will know that the Bucks are not and have not been a pick and roll heavy team. Um, so they were, I believe, in the bottom four or five last year in frequency of plays via synergy um, that were pick and roll ball handler, which they categorized basically when uh, the guy ball handling in a pick and roll either again takes a shot, gets fouled, uh, or uh, commits a turnover. Um, and so they were yeah, fourth from bottom, 12.5% of their plays, and I believe they were also third or fourth worst in the league, which is a, a pretty bad one-two combination when you think about how important the pick and roll offense is. Third or fourth uh, in, worst in efficiency, in the, the, right. In efficiency, right. So 0.74 points per play. Um, and to put that in perspective, you know, the Warriors, ironically, the Warriors had the lowest rate of pick and roll plays, which might surprise some people, because um, you think a lot about that Steph Curry, uh, Draymond Green pick and roll type play. But again, because this is the ball handler, teams are obviously often so worried about Steph Curry pulling up for threes um, that they have to play him very close. And so you probably do get a lot of other offense generated by it, but it doesn't show up in the ball handler plays. It shows up either in roll man plays or probably in you know, what synergy would just categorize as spot up plays or something like that. You know, basically where another guy outside of the two man game gets, gets a shot. And they're also there. I was going to say they were second in plays finished by cutters behind the bucks. And then yep. they were first on plays off of screens by the most unbelievable margin. And then I think they were like top three in spot up. Um, so if you're thinking about the Warriors offense, it makes perfect sense. Like, okay, they draw it to Steph and then even like the roll man doesn't do a lot because their goal is to get Draymond or Bogut rolling and then have them make the next pass. So you're thinking of all of a sudden Clay slipping behind a screen. You're thinking of Draymond getting an easy backdoor pass to Iguodala. You're thinking about everything else. Like so much starts there that it, it does kind of make sense that their ball handler uh, finishes would kind of be low. Yeah, and again, median in the NBA in terms of efficiency, um, maybe like mid, like low 0.82, 0.83, something in that range. Bucks were at 0.74, and especially when you consider how few shots they took in that, you know, by running those pick and rolls, that's really bad <laughs> because it means that even if you're not forcing those plays, you're not scoring efficiently off those plays by a long shot, and that obviously speaks to. Um, the personnel the Bucks had, I think, uh, off top of my head, I think Michael Carter Williams struggled particularly last year um, in pick and rolls. Middleton was pretty good. I think Giannis was okay, but not great. Um, so it's uh, it's interesting just sort of to see how that breaks down and, and the fact that the Bucks weren't good. Now the the flip side, where Miles Plumley obviously uh, gets big eyes and gets excited, is uh, Synergy also has stats for when a roll man finishes. So when you run a pick and roll and the ball handler passes to uh, the screener and that guy takes a shot, gets fouled or turns it over. Um, again, the Bucks did not run many of those plays or did not have many plays where the roll man ended up being the beneficiary. Only 5% of plays, which is the, again, the second fewest in uh, the entire league. They were a bit better in terms of efficiency, 
but still basically kind of middle of the pack, slightly above average, 1.02 points per play. And that's interesting because Miles Plumley was the most efficient <laughs> rollman in the league. So that tells you that the rest of the Bucks were not exactly lighting the league on fire and that it wasn't necessarily easy to you know get Miles or, or anybody else lots of, of looks that way. So um, again, the consistent sort of theme here, the Bucks did not get many shots for rollmen. They did not get many shots for the ball handler in a pick and roll. Uh, and that speaks to the fact that, again, you know, and Jason Kidd, that we knew this sort of coming into uh, him coaching the Bucks. that as much as, you know, I think some people might think of Jason Kidd as like a really good pick and roll guy when he was in the league. Um, but that really hasn't been a staple of his offense. Um, you know, the Dallas offense that Rick Carlisle runs is not really a typical, like just tons of pick and roll type offense. Um, a lot of these offenses that try to run more flow style offense, um, often don't rely that heavily on on pick and roll. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Bucks maybe change that a little bit. Um, it seemed like anecdotally the Bucks did run more pick and roll, I want to say, for Giannis when he became um, the point guard, in part probably because he was getting a lot of minutes with Miles, and, and obviously Miles Plumlee is, with his athleticism, a really great rim finisher, rim roller. Um, but we'll see. Do you buy into, I mean, I don't know, I mean, We'd just be guessing, obviously, at this point. But I mean, Eric, do you think that we're going to see a much more pick and roll centric Bucks offense this year, or do you think it's sort of like a, eh, there may be a little bit more, but you know, they're still going to be more towards the bottom of the league, just because of perhaps philosophical reasons of the way they play? Oh man, it's really tough to try to try to figure it out because there's just so much evidence to the contrary. The like you mentioned, when you look at Jason Kidd's offense in in Brooklyn or in Milwaukee, it's very flow based. It's very much about off ball movement. It's about screens. It's about getting the ball to the elbow and kind of working off that. It's not very open. It's not very spread, and there aren't many pick and rolls. So it's tough to kind of imagine what an offense with a lot of pick and rolls would look like with that being said, I know on, on media day, I, I tried to ask Jabari about being more of a playmaker and maybe running some more pick and rolls now that Chris has gone and there's a bit of a playmaking void. And he mentioned that he thought he had really good pick and roll chemistry with miles. And that's something I would agree with. I know there was, God, it had to be two weeks at, after the All-Star break where I would I would tweet every game every time they ran a 4-5 pick and roll. And they used to do it where they'd get Jabari on the ball near one of the elbows, try to get him moving to his right, have Miles set a screen, and it was just a real tight pick and roll that was lobs for Miles all the time. Uh, so there, I do think there is some evidence that there is – some chemistry there between Jabari and Miles, and obviously Miles was a great finisher, and uh, it was nice with Giannis. They had a very good connection there, but I guess at the same time I asked Greg Monroe about, well, do you feel comfortable in pick and rolls with Giannis and Jabari because you're very different than Miles? And he was like, well, yeah. And he like kind of like pointed at himself. He was like, yeah. I'm different than Miles, <laughs> um, and uh, it was uh, it was quite obvious. But at the same time, they're very different pick and roll players. And I thought a lot of the time last year, Chris had 
pretty good chemistry with Greg, and obviously that makes sense. They are kind of friends and play together longer. But at the same time, Chris is a different pick and roll player. Like he likes to throw bounce passes and he likes to keep yep. the ball lower. And for a ground bound big like Greg, that makes a lot of sense. And Greg can catch low, make a spin move, and finish with the hook shot. And that's something he likes. But when you when you think of Miles Plumley, he likes the ball high. And again, at media, media day, we joked about that, and he was talking about how those guys like to throw it up there. And I I jokingly asked, well can they actually overthrow you? And he was like, oh, yeah, they, they can. You, you should see some of the ones Giannis has tried. Uh, he tests me or something like that. And it was just funny that, yeah, if it's a pick and roll with those guys, they're going to throw it up to Miles. So I think that's going to be a, a very interesting thing because as I last year as I was talking about Giannis's playmaking, it was very good, and he was making a lot of good passes, and he was there was a lot of very – strong points to his improvement and in the that improvement there was a lot of times where they weren't the most precise passes like he wasn't the guy that was probably going to slip in a bounce pass or something like he was just going to throw it up and that works for miles um but if he's forced to run a lot of pick and rolls with greg that's asking him to do something very different um so that'll be interesting also just asking greg monroe to run pick and rolls is different like not something greg loves uh or at least not that i'm aware of him loving it it didn't appear that he loved to run pick and rolls last year and from anything i've really seen him do in detroit i know they tried to run some with him but again it was a low percentage he's a back to the basket big um so i want to say there's going to be more pick and rolls but when you think of jason kidd there's not a ton there and i it is going to be interesting to see if Miles and John Henson do get a lot of those minutes. They're rim-running big, so can they even out the the time that Greg will spend on the floor, and can the Bucks convince Greg to do some pick-and-rolls? Um, it, it's it's going to be – it's it's nearly impossible to predict because the parts just don't make a ton of sense for a heavy pick and roll offense. Um, but if you do truly want Giannis to start learning how to be a point guard, he's got to have these reads all the time and he's got to get these reps and he's got to learn how to do this. So uh, it, it's tough to say, which way are you leaning? Do you think there will actually be more pick and rolls? You know, I think there might. I, and I think back to uh, the conversation we had with Greg Coromenis where Greg um, was, you know, his, his kind of, view of of the bucks and again not that you know this necessarily means the bucks are actually going to do this but it it sort of aligns a little bit with what Plumlee's suggesting uh and i think what we saw when the bucks were run by Giannis after the the break and i I think you know running pick and rolls um not that not that it's not a very nuanced or easy thing to do well um but i think Giannis seemed to have pretty good instincts for it um and it again it opens up opportunities for him to get mismatches where he can either attack um where he can use his passing ability uh and and i think it it seems to suit him instinctively it seems to be something that he he does pretty well with so i think um for him you know versus when michael carter williams was in and it seemed like something they specifically didn't necessarily want to do with mcw running the offense um I think that with Giannis at the helm, I think it's going to be a lot more about him, a lot less about, you know, again, and it's certainly if Miles Plumlee starts, you're not going to see, you know, as many corner series. It just doesn't, it doesn't really make as much sense, yeah. right? Because Plumlee isn't the same kind of passer. 
and certainly from a post standpoint, you're not going to try to get him post-ups like you would Greg Monroe. And you don't want to throw him the ball at the elbow. Like there was times right. last year where they try to throw him the ball at the elbow and he would either just miss it. He couldn't hold off his defender. It was, it was just bad. Yeah. And I mean, to give people, so some of these, the stats, you know, Greg Monroe, uh, about 11% of his plays were, were pick and roll, uh, finisher plays um and and that's about half of what Plumley and Henson were at Henson was at 22 percent Plumley was at 20 percent uh Plumley just you know an outrageous um efficiency 1.44 points per play <laughs> as a pick and roll finisher and Henson 1.09 Monroe 1.07 so Henson and Monroe much more comparable in terms of efficiency versus uh Plumley. and I think the, the comparison is is an interesting one you know when I picture Greg Monroe, I, I picture him as a pick and roll guy with with Chris Middleton, his his old buddy from Detroit, yep. and kind of running like side pick and rolls, and you know, Chris being really good at sort of knowing when the defense is maybe over committing to him, and then using like a bounce pass or you know basically some kind of like little pocket pass to yep. get Greg the ball, like more in that sort of eight to ten foot away range, um, where Greg still has work to do, and then Greg can use kind of his skill to put the ball on the floor, take a dribble, maybe, um, you know, use a pump fake or whatever to to then get a get a, a decent look. Versus, Agreed. you know, Miles, you, you're just you know top of the key, uh, you know, slip the screen and then just dive to that rim and and you know, hope Giannis just puts it high enough for him to to cram it down. Which, yeah, you know, completely different approaches as to how to be successful in the pick and roll i mean i think both can be um obviously you look at the numbers you'd say yeah just just let miles dunk it no and that's a it's a really good point that you make that the location on the floor where you're running those is very different i i think a middleton pick and roll i envision and i can remember most vividly was it's going to be a side pick and roll it's probably going to be pretty tight quarters and with Giannis, it's all right Let's get him to the middle of the floor and let's get Miles sprinting up the lane and trying to figure out which side he wants to set the screen on. Let's give them as much space as possible. Um, Very different styles of pick and roll, and I think that's a great point, Frank. So I think it's going to be an interesting thing to see. Again, I I think there are a number of reasons I think the Bucs will be a bit more, um, you know, a bit more pick and roll uh, dependent this year, um, maybe a bit more open to it. Uh, again, are the Bucks going to be a team that is wildly dependent on on the pick and roll? I don't I don't think so. Um, I don't think they'll necessarily you know get get dramatically away from what they've tried to do in the past. But but it is interesting, you know, as as Brett pointed out, you know, uh, I think Brett's big overriding idea was you know how do you play just sort of a more open, less structured offense um, and kind of just let guys play, not try to overwhelm guys um, with with real kind of complicated sets. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see if that works. Uh, I, I certainly Jason Kidd has long um, worked in sort of read and react type offenses. Uh, you know, in, in New Jersey, he kind of famously was part of a you know the kind of Princeton style offense that that Eddie Jordan brought there as a, as a top kind of offensive assistant. Uh, Rick Carlisle, obviously, um, you don't necessarily call it a, a, a Princeton offense, but they they've run kind of this flow offense. In, in Dallas, that's also very read and react. Jason winning uh, an MVP there. And, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I think Jason Kidd, if, if we see something in him that I think you don't necessarily see in most coaches, it's he does seem to be an adaptable, adaptable guy who, 
looks to to make you know as, as you were alluding to looks to take advantage of mismatches, um, use the talents he has at his disposal, and and I think you know you might look at certainly the way the Bucks, um, what their talent looks like now. You might certainly say that um, you know especially with Giannis at, at the point maybe that's something that that they uh, they try to do more often. Um, and I should say Giannis um, as a as a pick and roll ball handler uh, was actually the most efficient of of any of the Bucks. Point eight one points per play um not great 60 60th percentile um 10 of his plays um but just a slightly above bayless ennis and middleton and uh carter williams was had uh, had significantly more uh attempts as a pick and roll guy than than Giannis, but only 0.71 uh points per play which obviously is is not great so um so we'll see it's Giannis's world and whatever makes Giannis look good i imagine we'll see it and uh Hopefully, uh, we'll see a fair bit of uh, Miles Plumley throwing down, throwing down lobs. Um, I guess we didn't mention. I probably should mention that top. Uh, we're still waiting to hear kind of the official word on Thon Maker. Apparently, suffered a wrist injury uh, today uh, in practice. Went back to uh, Milwaukee. I think, and uh, I believe Charles Gardner reported that they're going to take an MRI, and I think they've taken X-rays. So hopefully, hopefully, nothing serious. Sunday Fan Fest coming up, open scrimmage at the Bradley Center. Hopefully Thon will be back and uh, ready to be able to take part in that. Um, but uh, we'll certainly uh, we'll certainly have lots of coverage of that. And uh, we've got, uh, obviously, another day coming up on Friday with, uh, with one more day of content to try to get you through the big first week of Bucks training camp. So um, in any case, for Eric Name, no. I'm Frank. No, no, no. No, we have some friends to shout out. Oh, we do. We do. False start or false ending. <laughs> we I, That's true. I said, I, I just brought it up last time. I said that we were going to shout out some of our friends who've given us nice reviews on, on iTunes. I've got some here. Do you want me to start or do you want to start? You just go right ahead. All right. The Mythical Sam. I know the Mythical Sam from Twitter. Sam gave I mean, it was nice he said at the Mythical Sam, so you knew that that was Sam, too. You knew he was. So, Sam, thanks. Much appreciated. Uh, Sean Bradley, the eighth. Uh, I didn't know there was a Sean Bradley, the second, but Sean Bradley is procreating rapidly. Um, (laughs) And uh, he says, we're lighting it up, or you titled it Lighting It Up, which I love any reference to the Light It it Up, Light It Up videos. So, thanks for that. Um, I'm going to go with the big cheese or maybe big underscore cheese. Uh, I don't know if that's a Twitter handle, but if it is, hopefully this, someone wants to check you out. Uh, this podcast helped me lose 15 pounds. I think that's sarcastic. Um, but I think this podcast has helped me gain 15 pounds. So I think I got big cheese's weight. <laughs> uh, shout out to brew hoop for an informative and entertaining podcast. Um, also he comments on how long, it should be 45 minutes or so is a great time to dive deep, but also kill, uh, kill time at work or in the car. I love that feedback. I'm fascinated by the length of podcasts and how often they come out. So anyone that has an opinion on that, put that in a review because I love that feedback. We also uh, got a nice review from Jacob Brzezinski. Jacob, thank you so much. Uh, very nice detailed review. Um, and these help. It's actually very helpful to just sort of see what people like and, you're allowed to say what you don't like also in the, the reviews. Yeah. It, if you give us a five-star review, like we've said, 
say whatever you, you want. Say anything literally in that review, but uh, it's constructive criticism is also great. Um, thanks to Jacob. Um, also, thanks to Daniel Tanner. Daniel mentioned the uh, the length of the podcast as well. What do you got? You got some more for us? Um, I'm scrolling. I don't have any other ones right now. Do I got a. Uh, I got. I got Greg. Uh, and Greg, I'm probably mispronouncing your last name, but Greg Shuk, Shuk Shuk. Uh, Greg. Greg's down with a 30 minute podcast. So yeah. we're glad. We're glad to hear that, Greg. I think we're probably going over this time, so we're disappointing you. But Greg, much much appreciated. And uh, I think that's all I've got for now. Um, I think we've got probably have some more, but it's they're just not showing up right now. But anyway, thanks so much to everybody. Um, got sixty two five star reviews, and um, whoever can be sixty three, we'll give you a shout out next time. Yeah, appreciate it greatly. Um, keep the comments coming. If you have questions for us to cover, shoot them our way. Um, we always try to answer questions that people have on Twitter or on the pod. Um, and uh, yeah, one last thing. We're brought to you again by SeatGeek. Thanks so much to SeatGeek. Download their mobile app for the easiest way to buy tickets and use that promo code uh, L-O-B-U-C-K-S. That's L-O-Bucks. It'll get you a $20 rebate on your first purchase. That's the other thing you can do to help us and help yourself. Leave us a five-star review. Listen to other Lockdown Podcast Network uh, sister pods and uh, go use that LO Bucks promo code and go get yourself some free money. For sure. And, We're giving uh, you free money. Like, why we'll give you, you free it? money, and, and then SeatGeek will like us more because they'll tell us how, how helpful uh, these ads are. Uh, and since, there's actual Bucks games coming up. Like, you can use actual them Bucks games for actual Bucks games. That's awesome. Crazy. Crazy. You don't, this weekend, Sunday, it's free. Thereafter, you got to pay. You'll find the best deal on SeatGeek. All right, guys. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you Friday. Take care.